Good morning to so many people, my friends in the room. Glad to see you in the campuses, my friends in Grundy. I miss you guys and Waverly. So excited that you have a space now to worship in. Um, I want to also greet all of you who are watching online. Um, we're just so grateful to all of you that you choose to spend your Sunday morning worshiping with us. I want to um, say happy third Sunday of Advent. I, I hope that you were able to listen to the first two teachings in this series. Carla taught first and then Doug last weekend, and uh, they were just fantastic teachings, I believe, and they were so helpful to me in this season, and I hope they were for you too. And if you didn't get to watch them, you can watch them on our website. So this morning, I want you to travel back in time with me to the year 70 AD. So this is 70 years after that very first Christmas and almost 40 years after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. Okay, so 70 AD, and we're in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, where the great temple was the very center of Jewish faith. It was the center of Jewish culture, it was the center of all of Jewish life. The temple was everything. And it was in the temple where in the hour before dawn each day, the high priest solemnly sacrificed a lamb. And this sacrifice guaranteed God's relationship with the Jewish people for one more day. And this sacrifice provided assurance that God would once again cause the sun to rise that morning. The Jewish people faithfully believed their very existence hinged on what took place at the temple. But in the year 70 AD, all temple sacrifices, all temple worship ceased because the great Jewish temple was obliterated. It was pulverized into sand by Roman soldiers. And the high altar where the important sacrifices were made was shattered into tiny pieces. The Torah, the sacred Hebrew scriptures were burned. And almost every leader of the faith was either killed or thrown out of Jerusalem. Can you imagine this? Everything they knew, all that they counted on, the center of their life and faith was obliterated. And they were in a spiritual wilderness of epic proportions. They were completely disoriented. I mean, put yourself in their place. How would they go on? Well, many of the remaining religious leaders and faithful Jews fled to a city far from Jerusalem after this happened. They fled to a city called Antioch. And amidst these fleeing, terrified people, we find a small group of Christ-following Jews, the early Christians, who were trying to figure out what would it look like to be Jewish, but also followers of the risen Christ now? 
They had zero idea, friends, that one day they would be the founding members of a worldwide faith. All they knew was that they were in a spiritual wilderness. And many scholars believe that Matthew was writing his gospel, what we now call the book of Matthew, with the Jesus-following Jews in Antioch in mind. And Matthew writes his version of the story of the birth of the Christ specifically to let this group of new Christ followers know that out of the ashes of the temple, new things were being born. That out of this season of deep darkness and disorientation that they were facing, new wisdom and new gifts were going to arise from surprising places and through surprising people. And Matthew was trying to let this group of people know that they should keep their eyes open for this new wisdom and these new gifts at all times, but especially when it appears that all is lost. And we need to do this too. We don't know what form these things will take. We don't know who will bring this wisdom or these gifts. But we know no matter how dark things seem and no matter how disoriented we feel. Anybody else here feel disoriented for the last nine months? No matter how disoriented we feel, new things are being born. The Gospel of Matthew tells us so. And let me explain why I say that to you with such confidence this morning. I want us to look just briefly at the familiar story that Matthew tells through the eyes of our first century friends in Antioch. So let's read it together as they would have. This is what Matthew writes in the Gospel of Matthew, starting with chapter 2. He says, After Jesus was born... In Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now when the first century Christians heard this story read from Matthew's Gospel, their ears would have perked up at the word east. Exactly what you were thinking, right? When I read it, you thought, oh my gosh, she said the word east. It's incredible. But listen, directions often have symbolic meaning, right? When we say the geese are flying south, we know what that means. Or go west, young man. I don't know what that means, but it's a cool thing to say. When my son and his wife say they're going up north, we know they're going to drive to Wisconsin to her parents' cabin. As a young girl who grew up on the east side of Waterloo, I knew exactly what it meant when someone said to me, oh, well, I'm from the west side of town. And we all knew what it meant to make disparaging comments about the east side. See, directional words often have power beyond their surface meaning. And in this instance, the word east, the magi from the east, 
See, that word had great power and significance to our first century friends in Antioch because the east symbolized for them the rising of the sun and the direction that the priests used to face in the now destroyed temple for that morning sacrifice. Remember that sacrifice I told you about? The one that renewed the Jewish people's relationship with God? The one that assured them that God would cause the sun to rise again? That is what the word east represented to them. And so these foreign wise men, that's who the Magi were, They were not of the Jewish faith at all and possibly not even believers in God. They came into the Jesus story as told by Matthew from the same direction that the priests faced when they celebrated the sacrifice that kept the great covenant alive between God and his people. This was so significant. This really meant something. And the word east also represented the arrival of wisdom or God's insight into how the universe works. So these magi, through these magi, these magic men, these possibly irreligious astrologers, through them, God was bringing new wisdom to these early Christians having to do with their ruined temple their fresh and fragile faith in Jesus, and their deep sense of disorientation. The East from which the Magi arrived represented the arrival of new wisdom. And I wonder, have you ever been in a time of disorientation and darkness And God maybe brought you wisdom from unexpected places or unexpected people. I thought back to 30 years ago when I experienced horrible postpartum depression after the birth of one of our daughters. My world had collapsed and I was completely disoriented. But looking back, you guys, wisdom appeared from surprising people in surprising places, from doctors, especially a psychiatrist with zero bedside manner, but deep wisdom. Wisdom appeared from medical research and studies I read to try to help myself. Wisdom appeared from random people I met who made their way up and out of their own depression. Wisdom appeared when I ran for the Waterloo School Board, but I lost. But I learned to speak in public, which eventually led me to one of my life's greatest joys, which is teaching here at Orchard. See, when things are dark... When our world collapses, when the touch points that we count on in life disappear, that's the time to open our eyes. That's the time to look to the east from whence the sun rises. That's the time to expect expect God's wisdom to arrive in and through unexpected places and people. People may be outside our circle. People outside of our experiences, maybe people outside of our belief system, just like the Magi. This is one thing Matthew wanted the earliest Christians to know. And right now today, 
in this strange and disorienting Advent, friends, we too need to stay watchful. Is there a place in your life where you need fresh wisdom and fresh insight from the God who promises wisdom to all who ask? How are you during this disorienting time staying open to the fresh wisdom that God might want to give you? And are you ready to receive wisdom from surprising people in surprising places, from places you'd least expect it to come from? Maybe from a Hallmark movie. Or from your mom. Hello? A fount of wisdom. From a crabby neighbor. From reading our daily scripture. Or from going on a late dark, late night walk and looking at the stars. See, I think Matthew would say to us this morning, stay awake, friends. Be watchful. Keep your eyes on the horizon because God's wisdom arrives from surprising places and surprising people, just like the Magi. Okay, back to the story in Matthew. Okay, so after, after the wise men or the magi or the three kings, they've got a bunch of names, after they approached King Herod to ask about this newborn king of the Jews, Herod got really upset because you know what? He was the king, okay? And so he called together all the religious leaders and he asked them, um, excuse me, but where is your king going to be born? And they said, he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And so Herod let the magi know this. And then he said to the Magi, say, I'd like to ask you just a teensy, teensy favor. When you find this precious little baby, will you please tell me where he is so I too can go and worship him? Tricky Herod. So the Magi followed the star and found the baby And this is where the story continues. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary. And they bowed down and worshipped him. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Okay. So when our small group of brand new Christians in Antioch heard this section of Matthew's gospel, they would have immediately honed in on not just the direction from which the Magi arrived, but they would have paid laser-like attention to the gifts that the Magi brought because all three were profound references to the great temple. I, I didn't know this. Myrrh was mixed with oil for the priests in the temple to bless people with. Frankincense was burned for the most important sacrifices. And gold was the material of all the temple's precious vessels. And so by bringing these specific treasures, the most important components of the holy rituals of the great temple, and giving them to baby Jesus. God, through the Magi, was signaling this truth to these new Christians. The temple is no longer needed. Priests, 
sacrifices, rituals, rules, regulations are no longer needed to make us right with God. All that the Jewish Christians counted on in their past for their relationship with God to continue was no longer needed. The the center, the soul of their new faith was to transfer now from the great temple of the past to the future of this tiny new baby. This was such shocking news that somehow, somehow, this baby was the new temple. The Magi, with their gold, frankincense, and myrrh, were showing first Mary and Joseph, and then all the world, that Jesus is now the center of it all. That the era of the temple was over. And that the era of the temple is still over. And so we, like the earliest Christ followers, we need to be reminded afresh this dark Christmas season that something, someone greater than the temple has come, greater than the sacrifice of goats and doves and sheep, greater than the priests who had to stand in the gap between God and sinful people. Greater than the temple system with all its rules and regulations that must be followed meticulously or else. Greater than the list of restrictions about who is allowed to be close to God and who must be excluded. The temple and all it represents has been replaced by the newborn baby Jesus. And I want us to ponder for our own lives this Advent. In what ways do we still try to cling to the era of the temple, to temple-like faith? And this is what I mean by that. In what ways do we try to find a kind of high priest substitute that we believe must go to God on our behalf? In what ways do we do that? We, we find someone we think of as more religious than us, maybe somebody who works at the church, and we ask them, will you pray for me? And we actually believe that God is going to hear them more fully than God will hear us. But see, there is no need now for another human to run interference between you and God. Jesus is the new high priest now, the only one we will ever need again. And so what that means is that you and I, riffraff that we are, and you're all riffraff and so am I, and any other riffraff kind of people in this world, because of Jesus, can simply waltz right into the Holy Spirit. The era of the temple is over. Let me tell you a little bit more about that, what that means. In what ways do we rely on going to church, literally driving to a building for our worship of God? See, God doesn't need a building. The earliest Christians didn't need a building. 
I hate to break it to you, but God doesn't live here. We are no longer bound to a building. And every time we think that we are, every time we act as if the real action is in here rather than out there, we are reverting to temple faith. But the era of the temple is over. One more thought, one more question. In what ways do we forget that Jesus and his teachings supersede the rules and regulations of the Hebrew scriptures? Now that's a controversial question, but I'm going to ask it again just to make sure you hear it. In what ways do we forget that Jesus and his teachings now supersede the rules and regulations of the Hebrew scriptures? How many of us just want to come to church to have someone tell us what rules we have to follow so we will be okay with God? Just tell me what I have to do. Just tell me what I have to do to be in, not out, to be right, not wrong, to be good, not bad, to go to heaven, not hell. Friends, that's not how this works anymore. That is temple stuff. And Jesus' birth brought an end to that. The era of the temple is over. And yet... We are always, always, always tempted to go back to the temple to try to squeeze God back into a building. But God will not be relegated to a building. God is loose in this world, and he is at work through surprising people and in surprising places. And we are always tempted to try to find new kinds of sacrifices that will make us right with God, but God is now found through mercy, not sacrifice. We are always, always, always tempted. We always will be tempted to try to think we need a priest substitute to go to God on our behalf. But we don't need a priest anymore because Jesus is our only mediator. Jesus is a living, breathing, law-fulfilling replacement for the rule-based, restrictive, repressive religion of the temple. And if we don't get that, we will always misunderstand Jesus. And we will always mistakenly fall back into temple-based religious behavior to try to make ourselves feel safe and secure and superior. And when we do that, we will miss Jesus. So this Advent season, amidst all the chaos, all the political noise, all the interrupted traditions, all the loss of normal family gatherings, all the confusion about what's next, in the midst of pain, of suffering, of darkness, in the the midst of the sense that everything we count on feels sometimes like it's gone, Don't miss Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. Don't miss Jesus. Keep your eyes 
open, friends. Look to the east, the direction of the rising sun, the direction from which God's good wisdom comes, and watch for it to appear in your life in surprising places and through surprising people. And when you see the magi in your nativity scene or on a Christmas show or displayed haphazardly in your neighbor's yard, will you remember their part in this story? These outsiders, these irreligious foreigners who brought gifts to Jesus and their gifts symbolized that a new era had come, that Jesus was to be the new temple. That Jesus now is the center of everything. And may this truth that so brought courage to our very first friends in Antioch, the newest Christians, may this truth bring us all fresh joy and hope this strange and disorienting Christmas season. Amen. Let's pray together and then let's worship this baby Jesus who is the new temple, the center of it all. Let's pray. God, we often think that the stories in your scripture are so well known to us that we don't need to learn another thing about them. And we are so dead wrong. Thank you for the continued unfolding of your wisdom through your word to your people. We are so grateful for just this gospel of Matthew, these earliest of our Christian ancestors who were uh, disoriented and living in darkness just like we feel today. And the writing of this story about the very first Christmas and these little details in it that bring new light to the way we should live out our faith right now, God, I am so grateful. And may you, through your spirit, enliven us now to not just hear this word, but to live it out in every moment of our day. The era of the temple is over. And we now focus only on Jesus and everything he has done and is doing in this world. Amen.